This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for about 28 years now, almost 30. I started Self Work five years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might like another opinion, even though you're in therapy or you're just interested in psychological and emotional issues. For those of you who might just have been diagnosed with something or you're having a relationship problem that you're seeking answers for, but also to those of you who would look at a friend of yours and go, ah, that therapy stuff's kind of nuts, but you're just curious enough or sadly unhappy enough to listen in. Welcome to all of you. Perhaps one of the more complex concepts in mental health is the concept of choice. There's even a thing called choice theory out there, which we'll touch on. Of course, the field of positive psychology is huge these days, and it definitely focuses on choice. More specifically, there's a huge and dramatic debate over the idea that someone chooses depression or anxiety. I myself have panic disorder, as many of you know, and it riles me up a bit to hear from someone that I choose to shake and sweat for my heart to raise as if I'm facing a monster when it's simply my turn to introduce myself at a meeting. Or at least it used to be that bad. So today on Self Work, we're going to try to have a reasonable look at choice while also honoring that trauma is very, very real and causes very, very real damage. The listener email today is from a woman who says that she's associated often since childhood and the habit or the tendency is now getting in her way of staying in the present, especially when she's with family. And she picks her nails when she dissociates, so that may be a clue. My answer talks about diagnosis, but it also talks about, of course, what she can do about it, as we always talk about here on Self Work. So in this episode, sponsored by Athletic Greens, we'll talk about the concept of choice and its place in mental health treatment. There may not be much that can make a trauma victim matter than hearing someone else say that they need to choose to be happy or not to be depressed or anxious or have nightmares or flashbacks. And I get that. One of the toughest things about being a therapist is when I hear yet another revelation of horrific abuse, neglect, and cruelty that happens to a child. And of course, for them, it's not a story. They lived it. It's their reality. Sometimes they remember every gruesome detail. Sometimes the memories are more vague. But they can remember certain things like a smell, a texture, or sound. But this isn't an episode on trauma. I want today to talk about the role of choice in mental health. How did the message of, you can choose happiness, get started? I've noticed that this tendency for people to talk about choice has increased. I'm really not sure what's going on. Maybe it's the product of that smiley face that started it all. And just for fun, I looked up the history of the smiley face. Believe it or not, the yellow smiley icon was born in 1963 in Massachusetts when Harvey Ball, who was a graphic designer, was approached by State Mutual Life Assurance Company to create a morale booster for employees. It took only 10 minutes for him to create it, and it would knit itself so firmly in the fabric of American culture that we'd contemplate it for decades to come. He was paid a whopping $45 for his work. 
So that was back in 1963. But what about 2021 or 2022, whenever you're listening to this? Why so much focus on positivity and choice? When I started this week's research on choice, I found something called choice theory, which was formulated by psychiatrist Dr. William Glasser, could be Glaser, and he states that all humans have five basic needs, survival, freedom, fun, power, and love. And we attempt to satisfy these needs through our choices, and he would say almost all behavior is chosen and we can only control our own behavior. The drive for love and belongingness tends to be the most important. So if you really want to talk about choice theory concretely, they would even say that people or events outside of us never stimulate us to do anything. All our behavior is choice. So they would say we answer the telephone because we choose so in order to communicate, but not because we react to the ring. We stop at a red light because we choose to avoid risking a traffic ticket or an accident, not because the light turned red kind of interesting. They would say even a quick action is chosen and not automatic. So what does that really all imply and why did it come along at the time it did? My take on that is choice theory is perhaps trying to say that we're not just robots. There were some in the mental health field that believed that and had good research to back it up. Remember all those experiments with rats and cheese you learned about in Psychology 101? Behavioral therapy would say when we're rewarded, that's what we do. And so choice theory came along to negate that. But I don't know about it. They leave out behavior that we don't have control over, meaning the actions of others toward us. They leave out the impact of trauma. So now we're going to talk about positive psychology, which has had a major impact on the mental health field. But before we talk about that, we want to hear a message from Athletic Greens. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work, and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So now... Along comes positive psychology. Martin Seligman began his own school of psychological thought about this, which I don't know how you get the courage to start your own school of thought. But he believed that psychology was too focused on human weakness and mental illness instead of mental health. He said in a TED Talk, and I'll have that link for you, 
Psychology should be just as concerned with human strength as it is with weakness. It should also be as interested in building the best things in life as in repairing the worst. And it should be as concerned with making the lives of normal people fulfilling and with nurturing high talent as with healing pathology. So he wanted more balance in the field. You know, I remember in my last year of graduate school, I got very confused because all my other colleagues were choosing some theory that stressed problems of some kind and doing that kind of work with patients. They were very focused on the theory. I was aware that I understood those theories, that they had merit, but I wasn't thinking about theory when a patient walked in my door. My supervisor at the time, I was really quite troubled, and I talked with her, and she said, Margaret, those are only theories. So choice theory, positive psychology, again, they are created by people to make sure that the field of mental health is looking at things in balance, not exaggerating one thing or another. It's kind of a way that psychology and mental health corrects itself. And as you know, if you've listened to self-work a lot, I do talk about what you can do about it and make very pragmatic suggestions in my own work. But I also don't dispute the rawness and pain of trauma, the reality of depression. To me, there's a balance. I like what Carol Kaufman, who's at Harvard University's McLean Hospital, had to say about positive psychology and how it can be used in therapy. She talks about using techniques that reverse the focus of therapy from negative events and emotions to more positive ones, developing a language of strength, knowing what your strengths are. I do that. Balancing the negative and positive aspects of certain actions or situations. I do that too. And building strategies that foster hope, which you've heard me say here on Self Work. Inside is wonderful, but where you get your hope from is behavior change, right? So I guess I'm a little bit more of a positive psychologist than I may have even realized myself. But it may seem as if I'm straddling the fence here, and in many ways I am. I greatly respect the courage it takes to work through trauma. Newer techniques like EMDR and Bessel van der Kolk's work on how your body remembers trauma is vital to healing. I think our body work has been left behind in so much focus on the brain and mentality. For us to realize that children who are traumatized don't choose to become depressed or anxious. Trauma affects your emotions, the patterns in your thinking, your neural pathways, your physical or gut reactions. Your very development as a human is changed by trauma. But here's where I think positive psychology can be helpful. We know that what you focus on tends to become larger, to grow, to become more central to who you are. We also know from Dr. Caroline Leaf's work, that was just a few episodes ago, that our unconscious minds are at work 24-7, constantly sorting, encoding, organizing information, and trying to make sense of our experience. In a way, showing us what needs our focus. So if you focus on something you have control over, your sense of control will grow. Let's say you've had trauma in your lifetime. I think the positive way of looking at it as you begin healing is that its very darkness can heighten your sense of valuing health and goodness. The pain that any of us suffer can make a time when suffering is eliminated even more special. So focus gains in importance when trauma is present. What you focus on is what you have control over, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't focus on the trauma itself. You just don't want to feel overly defined by it as you heal and grow and change and somehow not allow yourself 
to enjoy some happiness. You may have had this happen to you. I've met people, for example, who might be telling me about a very difficult divorce they went through. And I get the idea that it must have happened last year, certainly recently. But what I find out is they've been divorced for many years. I become sad at that point, realizing that they haven't found a way to incorporate or integrate the hurt and pain from their divorce. Not that I'm discounting emotional pain and how difficult it is, but it doesn't have to define you. That's where focus and quote-unquote positivity comes in for me. Not in a toxic slap-a-smile-on-your-face way, but in a way that can prevent your identity from being wrapped up in tragedy. So let me make sure I get my message across. From my perspective, mental illness isn't a choice like we think of choosing what we're going to order from a menu. Perhaps your personality will adapt differently than someone else's, realizing that your means of survival will be unique to you as well. And yet you do have choices on what you do when you're experiencing depression or anxiety. And there are some choices that are self-destructive and others that are more constructive, given the hand that has been dealt to you. Of course, each one of us can make bad choices that lead us into chaos. This is true as well. So realizing you don't want to stay a victim is vital and can serve as inspiration to seek a more hopeful state of happiness. It takes courage, hard work, a fighting attitude, patience and acceptance of whatever mental and emotional states you experience, and to manage those states as well as you can. And if that looks like choice, so be it. The listener voicemail today is describing something called depersonalization derealization disorder. Let's listen. Hi, Margaret. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. I've learned a lot of awesome tools on various episodes, but I was wondering if you could devote an episode to talking about dissociating. Um, I feel like I dissociate a lot and that I have maybe been dissociated since I was a little girl. And I really have a hard time breaking out of that when I need to get things done or I have, you know, time to spend with friends or family, I tend to sit in a dissociative state and I tend to pick at my fingernails and I'll realize that I haven't been, you know, I've been sitting there for way longer than I should. And I do, you know, try the techniques of meditation and I use essential oils and, you know, other natural supplements, but I just can't seem to break out of it once I'm in it. So if you could just give us any type of tips on that, I would really appreciate it. I do have two little girls, and I just want to be able to give them more of myself. Thank you. Let's first talk about depersonalization symptoms. Those are feelings that you're an outside observer of your thoughts, feelings, or body, like maybe you're floating in air above yourself, feeling like a robot and that you're not in control of your speech or movements, the sense that your body or parts of your body are distorted or enlarged, maybe that your head is wrapped in cotton, emotional or physical numbness of your senses and responses, and a sense that your memories lack emotion and that they may or may not be your own memories. So basically, depersonalization is when you cannot connect with your body in a real way or like you normally do. Your personhood is vague. 
How is derealization different? They are feelings of being alienated from or unfamiliar with your surroundings, like you're living in a movie or a dream. Feeling emotionally disconnected from people you care about. Surroundings that appear distorted or blurry, colorless, two-dimensional. Or you could also have somewhat the opposite, a heightened awareness and clarity of your surroundings, almost like you're hyper-focused. Distortions in perception of time and distortions of distance and the size and shape of objects. So again, this experience has more to do with you not accurately connecting with other things or people around you, not having a real sense of time and place. So simply put, when you're detached from your thoughts, feelings, and your own body, that's depersonalization. When you're disconnected from your environment, that's derealization. Brief periods of this are really common. All of us have driven to work or driven to the grocery store and not quite remembered how we got there. I answered a question recently about daydreaming in another episode, but it certainly sounds like this listener's episodes are much longer and are causing problems. They sound a little more in the realm of derealization, but again, symptomatically or diagnostically, those things are one in the same disorder, quote unquote. Of course, I wonder about trauma in her case. And the first thing I would ask her to do is to do work with a trauma specialist. That trauma may not even be in her consciousness. It might be being triggered by being around family. Perhaps someone in the family was the source of the trauma or with just more human interaction. The nail biting certainly seems to reflect a high anxiety. Actually, nail biting when severe is a form of self-harm, like cutting or hitting your head. It's a way of decreasing anxiety of what's happening. To detach yourself from the emotional pain you're feeling and neither not feel it at all or feel the physical pain, which is distraction from the emotional pain. Now, let's be clear. None of this is the same as dissociative identity disorders or having multiple personalities. These episodes can last hours, days, weeks, or even months at a time. And they can get worse. So therapy with a trauma specialist is important. Someone, for example, who's trained in EMDR would be an excellent choice. But it's certainly not something to be disregarded. And having those two small children who are counting on you to be present really can give you the motivation to see what may be behind this depersonalization and derealization. Good luck to you. Thank all of you for being here today on Self Work. Again, last time I asked for you to give me a gift, and I'm asking again this week. You know, when people look at podcasts on Apple Podcasts, they don't just look to see the number of reviews. They look to see whether the reviews are still coming in, because that means that the podcast is maintaining its quality. It could have been a wonderful podcast last year, but what about this year? So I'm asking you to leave me a rating, a review, wherever you listen. I would so appreciate it. And especially those written reviews are very important. You can do it anonymously if it makes you nervous, but I'd certainly appreciate your feedback. Also, my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, has been out for now two years, and it's keeping on, keeping on. It's available in audiobook, ebook, and of course, the regular paperback, which I would recommend since there's 60 exercises in the book to really help you begin to venture into your emotional self and to try and figure out why your emotions are so hard for you to connect with, at least your painful emotions. 
There are lots of ways to connect with me. I've got a closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We've got a little over 3,000 members, which is amazing, and a lot of people who regularly comment and post, so I would love to have you there. I also have a new interactive podcast on the Fireside app. You can go to firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford. That's firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford. And I usually do my interactive podcast on Wednesdays, and I'd love to have you there. You do have to have an iPhone right now, but that's the only requirement. My website's drmargaretrutherford.com. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. And don't forget the speak pipe voicemail option. I love it when you send me messages where I can hear your voice. I can sense what the problem is just from the way you describe it to me. And of course, you can appear here in your own way with me here on Self Work. Thank you so much for being here. Please take very, very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self